Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to season two of the Nakabi Diaries podcast, a platform dedicated to sharing the stories of the women behind the veil. This season, we will be speaking to more Muslim women from all walks of life as we continue to discuss their deep and intimate reasons for wearing the niqab. The Nakabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host, Samar, and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, sister. How are you doing? I'm doing well, alhamdulillah. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair for joining us today on the Naqabi Diary. Sister, could you please introduce yourself for us and tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay, so my name is Safiya Masoud. I am based here in New York City. I am a pre-K teacher as well as an amateur runner, I would say. And uh, I'm about to graduate from school, inshallah, this semester. And what are you studying? I am doing my master's in early childhood education. Okay, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. So, um, sister, um, alhamdulillah, I came across your Instagram and um, mashallah, I noticed that you like doing running and things like that. And obviously you're an Akabi as well. So that was very interesting to me and I was quite intrigued. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you, inshallah. So um, could you tell us how you came to start wearing the niqab, please? Um, so I started wearing niqab back when I was in high school, I would say. Um, I went to an Islamic school here in New York. So wearing a niqab wasn't actually as hard as people make it seem, only because I had the support that I needed, um, whether it's the acceptance from just kind of the community that I was going to school with as well as just the environment of being in New York. Um, so I started wearing it back in high school and I really didn't, it wasn't like a process where I had to rethink it more than once, but I did buy my knuckles from Egypt a year prior just in case I decided to wear it. And I think I kind of pulled the plug on the day of Eid where we had the entire month of Ramadan, I'm guessing. I can't remember if it was, um, I did fitter, I did Adha actually, but it was one of those things where you're showing up to the masters every single day and then the day of Eid, I showed up in Nicole. Um, but basically that, that was just it. It was, it was kind of a shock to my community, but it was kind of expected because I started wearing like a bigger, a bigger hijab, I would say, and just started dressing more modestly, more plain clothing, more looser clothing. Um, so it was just kind of a step in the same direction that I was already going towards. Alhamdulillah. So you mentioned that you had bought the niqabs a year before in Egypt. So you planned yeah. to do this for, for a while then? Yes. Um, I think I just didn't want to decide to wear it and then not have, have the niqabs available okay. because um, I do customize them myself back home. And I mean, honestly, even though there are a lot of websites that do sell them, I think I'm most comfortable in this specific material and just getting the right sizing so it's not too big and it's not too uncomfortable so i just needed to kind of plan that a summer in advance alhamdulillah so um is there a link between the fabric that you choose for the niqab and the, the fact that you love to do um running and, and sports um not really actually but it is a super thin material where it's very breathable and i mean all of my friends who have tried this material have said that it's like the best it's the best out there um i don't even know what the what the mix is of the fabric and materials but 
it's like a decent blend where it doesn't stain too easily and it's just very breathable. Like now with COVID, I feel like most of my friends who don't wear the makeup are actually asking for this material to make a mask from. Okay, mashallah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, mashallah. So, um, was it was it a requirement of your Islamic school that you should wear the niqab, or is it just? Oh, not at all. Okay. Um, I I think back in high school, I was the only one. Maybe there was one other girl, but yeah, there was no niqabis in my school. And same thing with the staff. Like, I think there's only one person in the entire staff that was a niqabi as well. Alhamdulillah. So, what actually made you want to wear the niqab? Um, so as I've said, we, I was raised in like a Muslim community, I would say, okay. even though it, we live in New York, I was basically brought up in a community of a masjid and just seeing Muslims basically doing everything that they've wanted to do while wearing hijab and one person specifically that I really look up to was wearing naqab and I really thought that was just amazing that she can go to school, work and I mean be a mother even. So having all these like different titles while also wearing niqab was was just so inspiring to me um so that's when i decided to do it i'm like you know what i'm in high school i'm about to go to college anyway and this is just something that i want to do and another thing that i also wanted another reason why i wanted to learn niqab, i would say is because i feel like it would limit me from doing things that i wanted to do in a typical high school age i would say and if i mean if, I, if you really think about it, I mean, Naqab has a really high standard and expectation that you have to carry on. Um, and I was like, this is the perfect way of going about it. MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah. So it, would you say that it was easy for you to wear the Naqab at that stage then? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I faced any like difficulties making the decision even, um, but it was such a smooth transition and it was something very new and not something that's really shunned upon within the community and like within like the New York City, like I guess I just want to say that New York did not, like people in New York do not care about how you dress. Mm. So it, it really doesn't matter. And I think if I was in a different state, I would have probably thought about my decision more than once, but being in New York, honestly, um, I didn't think anything of it. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So I, I've never been to New York personally, so I really wouldn't know. It was a, you know, a learning experience for me, like based on your accounts, obviously. I have talked to other sisters mm -hmm. who live in the States, but not anybody from New York. <clears throat> yeah. Alhamdulillah, and I, I think generally those sisters that I've spoken to, they've expressed pretty much the same kind of sentiments, you know, although obviously mm -hmm. like things, you know, things can vary from place to place, but generally it sounds, you know, that people aren't really bothered too much about how you dress and I can imagine a busy city like New York nobody actually takes time to care to be honest so yeah exactly and I mean if people do care it's like one in every 10 of my outings you know what I mean yeah. but it's not something that's super common where I'm constantly bothered of leaving my house Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, so, yeah. so um, how long ago was that that you started to wear the niqab I want to, if I count down my college years and my high school years, I want to say maybe eight. Okay, alhamdulillah. Yeah. So have you done any traveling while wearing the niqab? Have you been traveling abroad or within the um, United States? I mean, for traveling, I went to Saudi Arabia, which is obviously not a big deal, and Egypt, which is also still not a big deal because it's a majority Muslim country. But I've recently went to Mexico 
and my sister is also in a club. My mother is also in a club. And when I tell you, we, I mean, we didn't really have any expectations and that's the best part, but we were welcomed in every possible way. And just everyone all over Tulum was just so gentle and so nice to us. And we were completely like surprised by that. Um, as I said, we didn't have any expectations, but we also kind of expected people to look at us funny. Mm. Um, but we also traveled during COVID. So, I mean, there were a lot of people wearing masks. Wow. You but, like traveled during COVID? Mashallah. Yeah, I mean, we, we traveled after the travel ban has okay. kind of was uplifted. Mm. But um, at the end of the day, people were still following like CDC guidelines and making sure people were wearing masks in restaurants and stuff. But then again, we are visibly Muslim, so I'm not wearing shorts and a mask on, you know what I mean? So yeah, people knew that we were Muslim, and we definitely were not only wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, but the experience, I mean, we went on boat rides. I went into, I mean, I was swimming with my on. We went um, diving and snorkeling. So it was, I mean, I did it all with my on. so. I mean, the diver, uh, like our lead diver was looking at us like, what is going on? Yeah, he didn't mind me wearing it either. And it, it was just such a great trip, traveling wise, going getting on the airplane, like security checks, all of that was just so smooth. Mashallah, that sounds amazing. Like, um, I yeah, saw um, a sister recently who actually lives in Barbados and um, her mm. family, they have like a company, like it's um, diving and stuff like that. And she goes in her niqab and everything and does all, you know, water sports and all sorts of things. SubhanAllah, it's just like, for me living in the UK, it's pretty mind blowing to be honest, because here, for example, sisters like cry just to get like swimming like women's only swimming in the local pool do you know what i mean exactly so, like mashallah you know when we hear other experiences of sisters being able to do so many like different types of things really outgoing outdoor stuff as well is is quite amazing and it shows that you know the niqab doesn't make you um, limited in you know your ability to be able to do things if you actually want to do them yeah, yeah, not at all, alhamdulillah. And I, I mean, I speak specifically for New York, but I mean, this Mexico experience, I, it goes to show that it really depends where you are, but people are either becoming more open-minded or I've just been blessed with such a great experiences with my Nafab, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So sister, um, have you always been involved in like kind of sporting activities and things like that? And can you tell us how did you get into running? You said you're an amateur runner? Yeah. So I started back in 2018. That was my first ever race. Um, and it wasn't something that I had planned. I didn't think I was going to actually make it my thing or whatever. But I've been going to an all-women's gym, like New York has all-women gyms. Mm -hmm. And I've been going there since I was in high school, right? And I've just been running on an elliptical, running on a treadmill, but didn't really think I wanted to take it further. Um, until one night, I was actually just on vacation. And I was like, you know what? The New York Marathon had just ended two months ago, and I was just so inspired by that. And I'm like, you know what? Let me actually run that thing. And I thought it was just like kind of signing up for a race, and I can easily get in. Turns out there was a whole entire actual process to get in. It, you have to find like a charity organization that can sponsor you, okay. and you have to collect don yeah, you have to collect donations up to ten thousand dollars. And I'm like, there's no way I'm asking people to give me money to run wow. a marathon. Like I just, it just feels so weird to me to be asking people to support something that I still haven't even started yet yeah and I need to start training you know mm -hmm. um, so I managed to find this running organization here in New York called New York Roadrunners and basically you would run 10 races with them and volunteer with an event with them basically 
and they would let you run the marathon for only three hundred dollars wow so i'm like you know what that's actually i mean it does add up to maybe i want to say six hundred dollars if you're running the 10 races and volunteering at that event Mm -hmm. and then you get an easy end basically they call it the nine plus one event uh, nine plus one um application um so i managed to do that and guess what i got in and i was supposed to be running the marathon in 17 days i think but covid happened and the marathon got canceled wow subhanallah wow so will you have they postponed it are they still gonna do the marathon later on no it's officially canceled and i can basically run it virtually meaning that i would get a refund and i would just run it in my own neighborhood right with my apple watch type of thing where i'm just running on my own with no other people with me okay so what is the um distance of the marathon it's 26 miles 26.2 miles wow mashallah Mashallah. yeah it's it's a lot and i wouldn't i wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it alone so i opted to not run it this year we'll see what happens next year but they're saying that because covid looks like it's going to take a while mm. um they already are thinking of only like having actual athletes run the 2021 marathon and i can opt out for the 2022. i'm like i don't even know if i'm gonna live till 2022 so how am i supposed to opt out yeah so <laughs> we'll just we'll just wait until next year and i'll run my 10 other races and redo the whole process all over again mm. but they I mean, it, it's just so weird for me as a Muslim to choose if I want to run in 2021, 22, 23, or 24. That just sounds beyond me to even like plan that much in advance. I don't even plan six months in advance. You're making me plan five years in advance. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I don't know anything about stuff like this because actually I hate to run. Because, like, <laughs> you, you know, like, Subhanallah, I'll do, I'll do, I, I don't mind working out at all. I can do any kind of working out, but don't ask me to run I just don't want to do it so like I wouldn't have thought that um doing a marathon would have taken so many kind of um different processes obviously I understand the element of training but you know the kind of different um the formalities that you've had to go through just to kind of get to well get near to that point and then obviously for it to be postponed by the COVID and now this kind of backlog that they've got you know of um people who are allowed to run you know it's fun i thought it was just like yeah just put your shoes on and go for it that's exactly what i thought wow mashallah well it goes to show how much organization comes when it goes into these and preparing these kind of events and things like that. oh yeah and they're sponsored by like huge 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 companies i'm like to sponsor huge athletes and stuff like that um i'm telling you as a a basic person that i am i would the, the cheapest organization that i can kind of get in contact with to sponsor me would be a minimum of ten thousand dollars and i just wow i mean and if you don't get the ten thousand dollars by your race date you pay the rest from your money like you have to put your card information just in case you don't reach your um wow. like your amount imagine i just i just think it's beyond me and i i mean i don't know if a couple of years from now you'll see me asking people to donate to a future marathon but as of right now i just think that um, I don't know. It's just beyond me to. It's ten thousand dollars. Do you know how much you could do with ten thousand yeah, dollars? Of course. I mean, it, it, okay. So the marathons. I mean, I don't know. As I said, I don't know anything about this kind of stuff. But I always assume that when you run, yeah, most of the time when you ask for sponsorship, it's like to raise money for certain charities and things like that. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I thought that people who maybe weren't involved in charities could just run it for fun as well. I thought that there yeah. were things, I mean, I don't know, it could be different in the UK. So maybe if somebody's listening, they can kind of like 
fill me in on this kind of stuff but um yeah subhanallah like that's quite interesting Ten thousand, you know like cause yeah. here, I, I think um when people do things for charity they usually have their own kind of targets that they decide that they want to meet and their yeah, own specific would, personal charities you would basically choose your charity and you would hope that your charity can actually get in contact with them um with like the New York City Marathon mm -hmm. and they would apply as a charity where they're like okay you know what we have five sponsors that are going to be running and this is how much money they're bringing they're bringing in and we'll give you this portion it usually works like that wow so it's kind of like a business it's kind of like a business type of transaction I would say I don't know the specific details of it but I actually had a friend who was going to reach out to a company because he worked for it, but it was a beer company. So I'm like, there's no way I want to be yeah. a face of a company just so I can cool. run a marathon, you know? Oh, wow. um, they were like, wow. exactly. He was like, I'll let you run the marathon under them. You'll run for free, but you'd have to do a couple of Instagram stories for them. And obviously yeah. I'm like, are you joking? I don't even drink. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, like it just sounded so crazy but they also don't know that Muslims don't drink so it was just you know when he thought he was doing me a favor I'm like do you know what you're asking of me yeah <laughs> but also oh another God. thing if if you wanted to run for fun you had to actually apply where there you have to be running under a specific pace so they know that you're super fast and you can actually kind of run this race you're basically an athlete um, yeah. And that's how you would get in if you want to if you want to run for fun and not run under a sponsorship. Oh right, okay, wow. So that basically another way of getting. But I'm not I'm not a huge runner where I'm running a mile in like seven minutes. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So I want to run for fun, but I also don't have the right pace to be running for fun as an athlete. Yeah, subhanallah. Well, well, who knows? Maybe with the right training, you keep it up, and who knows? You might, you might make your time quicker. Inshallah. Inshallah, we'll see. <laughs> Subhanallah, since they're telling you to plan for like twenty, what twenty-five or whatever. Subhanallah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Okay, sister. So, um, could you tell us a little bit about your um, Islamic school? Coming back to that, like, um, because I don't know anything about Islamic schools in in um, New York. Yeah. So. Um, and just for the listeners as well, because I just like to give a broad kind of, um, you know, perspective for people who don't know about, you know, Islam in America, for example, and things like that. Tell us a little bit about your Islamic school that you went to and how that's and how your upbringing has influenced you to come to, um, you know, make the decisions, for example, your career choices and things like that. Because you said you're in pre-care at the moment and studying um, so, childhood. Mm -hmm. So basically my Islamic school is a school that's kind of been up and running for about 21 years, I want to say. Sure. And I, what's the plug? I've been going there since I was like super young. I started there in nursery and I was there till senior year of high school. So I, I basically, it was my second home. And I, my best friends are from there and we kind of like built a little family. And this school follows like all the curriculum that any public school would follow just with an extra three classes, which was Arabic put in, and it was just kind of an addition in the curriculum, nothing mm -hmm. too different from any other public school that anybody would go to, but obviously everyone in the school was Muslim, the staff is Muslim, we eat halal food, um, we have a Muslim chef, so he would basically make sure all the food is halal, and another thing was we had a salah period, so mm -hmm. a period of the day was dedicated to salah, 
and depending on just the time changing, we would actually pray Dhuhr in school, and during the winter, because Asr was a little bit earlier, we'd still be in school, we would also pray for Asr in school. Um, but yeah, that's basically what our day was like. We were in school from 7.30 to 3.30, and our day was scheduled to have those three periods every single day. Like, there was not, it wasn't like a once in a, once a week where we had Arabic or Quran. It was like a daily thing. We had Arabic every single day, Quran every single day, and Islamic studies every single day. And they were all licensed teachers that were teaching us these materials. Um, and I promise you, like, I think I have everything kind of ingrained in my head from elementary school. It was the, the dedication for these three subjects was was basically what made us a different school from everyone else. Allah, mashallah, that sounds really amazing. So is it a was it a private school? Yeah, it's a private school. Okay, mashallah. No, it sounds really cool. Um so did you um was that aim to make everybody memorize Quran while they're there or like what was that kind of um target? Um so they actually had a specific curriculum for Quran specifically, where we memorized around three students to four students. I don't exactly remember um, the students that we were supposed to remember, but they actually have this program called the Hype Program, where the kids get pulled out from um, class and they would memorize like specific juz during the school year, and they go into like Quran competitions where they compete with other Muslim um, students throughout the entire like the tri-state area. Yeah. But yeah, we were memorizing a lot of surahs and um, I think by the end, I mean, you wouldn't, I don't know any student that actually memorized the entire Quran as I was there, but I know that there is a program right now that they're pretty consistent and I just know that there's like a lot of competitions going on where they compete with other like Masajid and Islamic schools in the community. Alhamdulillah, that sounds really amazing. SubhanAllah. So in your, you know, you, yeah. you did mention that um, there was somebody that you looked up to that, um, you know, you want, that you admired and you, that made you that kind of feel encouraged to wear the niqab. Um, do you know of, um, was there a lot yeah. of other girls in the school wearing niqab or was it kind of still not that many people, not that many sisters? Hello? I, I don't, okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I remember any niqabing back in high school. I think maybe there was one or two, but I actually don't even remember them anymore. Um, two years, maybe younger than me, that weren't. Um, but, but yeah, like there were no students in my class the year above me, the year below me that were wearing the gloves still. Okay, alhamdulillah. So have you, have you, since you've been like, you know, left school and started college and stuff like that, have you met any sisters at all? Um, online or offline who have, for example, wanted to wear the niqab, but um, they're not allowed to wear it? Or have you met any sisters in your lifetime, like with traveling around Egypt, Saudi Arabia and other countries, have you met any Muslim sisters who've been forced into wearing the niqab? Um, not, I mean, I haven't really met anybody that was forced to wear it, alhamdulillah, right now. But um, I have, I have a good friend that, wears it right now and she is a really good friend um, who just decided to wear it and I mean honestly we've been best friends since elementary school so this is just like I mean everyone always calls whenever we take pictures they call us the Nakabi Oreos <laughs> um, but but I mean we've been best friends for a while and we get mistaken for twins even like her cousins are constantly mistaken me for her which is super funny but wow. 
Yeah. Mashallah. So what um what would you advise to sisters who would like to wear the niqab but they don't feel confident to wear it? I think honestly, especially like I think the best advice I would give right now is that everyone is currently wearing masks right now and no one seems to be like questioning the person next to them or whatever. So I feel like people have changed their mindset mindset with niqab specifically right now where they're like, okay, you know what? It's actually not a big deal. And why are we so frightened from a person that's wearing a mask? So niqab is, um, that, goal, they all, that also goes for niqab is where people are finally seeing us differently. Like this is for the first time in forever. I feel like niqab is not looked down upon. Yeah. So if anything, I would have even more courage to wear it now than, than before. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So sister, you mentioned that you're in, um, you work in um, pre-care. So you work with yeah. children, right? And how, yes. can you just like talk um, about how, um, you know, how that relates to wearing the niqab? Because often like obviously people hearing this that might not be Muslim, for example, might think, well, you know, how does that work? You wear your, you cover your face and you're working with small children. Can you just explain like kind of the process and how, um, you know, your day goes with teaching young children? Okay, so pre-COVID, I worked with non-Muslim kids and I worked with Muslim students as well. And in both classrooms, I never wore my niqab. Mm -hmm. Like the second I'm in my classroom, my niqab is off. When we're going to the backyard, it goes back on. Come back to the classroom, I take it back off. Um, so I've always had my niqab off in the class. People always assume that I've been working with my niqab on. And I'm like, there's no possible way you could work with children if your face is not showing and they don't see where your mouth is and they don't see your... Um, how you're teaching and stuff like that. You need to show your face. Yeah. Um, and that's actually like a, a COVID kind of issue where teachers have to wear like a face shield now because yeah. they need to show their face as they're teaching, but also wear a mask at the same time. So they realize that really isn't working and they need to actually show where their lips are moving and how they're moving. So when you're teaching phonics and just letters in general and stuff like that, the students need to see how your, your mouth is moving. Yeah. Um, and that's like very important. So... Pre-COVID, I was always not wearing my, my niqab in class. And when I was working with non-Muslim families and non-Muslim students, um, whenever a parent was dropping off their, their child, if he was a male, I would obviously put my niqab back on. They leave the room, I take it off. And like kids never question my niqab. I actually had one student who pulled off my niqab once because they were only three years old, not a big deal. I didn't take any offense to it. But the parent was like, oh my God, I'm very sorry. Like, And they thought I would get offended. I'm like, they're a child don't worry you know it's not a big deal but um i think she really thought because i'm muslim and i like i'm covering my face it's like it's a really big deal and i'm like i promise you you know it's not like an adult's doing it like at the end of the day so um it's really not an issue but right now with covid guess what everyone is wearing a mask even my own students are wearing a mask oh, and they're only four years old children yeah, we have to wear it. Anybody above the age of two in school has to wear it. Two-year-old? Oh, my God. Yeah. I know. It's like the new guideline, and if you don't like it, then you have remote learning stay home. Oh, no. Like, in the UK, the children haven't been made to wear them. I think, um, I don't, is there a cut-off age? I can't remember if there's a cut-off age for, um, like, children to wear masks, but I know at least in the primary levels, they're not wearing it. Like, small kids aren't, like, wearing masks or anything. Oh wow! I can't even imagine a little, a oh, little three-year-old or something like wearing a mask. Oh. Exactly. I mean, honestly, my job twenty-four-seven in my classroom is like, okay, your mask goes over your nose, please. 
but some students, I mean, they haven't, they like, they know it's the rule, so they haven't taken it off. And some kids actually come to me and they're like, she doesn't have her mask on. He doesn't have his mask on. So like they're snitching on each other. Wow. Oh. But I feel like they've gotten used to it. We only take it off in the back door. Yeah. Oh, so they know that the rule is we only take it off when we're eating and when we're sleeping. Wow. Just thinking about those poor little kids, like seriously, subhanAllah. Like, you know, like online and Instagram and stuff like that, you see sometimes like posts of, um, you know, Niqabi sisters with their little kids, like small babies, sometimes the little baby girls with a Niqab and stuff. Do you know what I mean? And some people... Yeah, people will be like, oh my God, like, how can you do that? You know, that's just a child. And I think, well, the child imitates the mother and you're dressing your child as you dress, which everybody yeah. does that. So I don't see anything wrong with a small child or even, you know, very young wearing a niqab because it's not like it's a permanent thing. It's not, and it's not mandatory either. So exactly. I mean, you might wear that temporarily. It's like when children here go to a madrasa and they just put their hijab on for like an hour or so to their Quran lesson or whatever then they take it off afterwards it's something exactly. it's just a way for them to kind of get used to wearing that particular type of clothing so, yeah yeah but like I don't yeah. feel like I, I feel strange like thinking about a little kid wearing a niqab um, not a niqab the um the face masks because actually I've noticed yeah. That, um yeah you know like you said the niqab that you wear like the material is very breathable um, and I find that the niqabs that I have as well, they have, alhamdulillah, like they're really breathable. So I don't feel like claustrophobic or anything like that when I wear them. But um, when I've worn uh, medical masks, I feel like, you know, I just can't wait to take it off my face, you know. And um, as well, if I wear like a decorator. Exactly, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Yeah, yeah. Decorator's mask is like pretty much the same thing. It's like really like, you know, suffocating, like you can't wear it for a long period of time. But with the niqab, like, I can forget that it's even on. SubhanAllah, like, yeah. I just think, like, little kids in school, like, because I said that here they're not doing it, so it must be quite, I don't know, just weird for them. But I suppose children, to some extent, they can be so obedient anyways. It's like, it must be, like, maybe, I don't know, I don't know, how, how are kids seeing it, like, wearing a mask? They just... It's I mean, I feel like one of my students, he says coronavirus, like, can I... It seems like we're aware of exactly what's going on around. And there was like maybe one to two kids out of my 13 kids that really cannot stand it. And it, they constantly look like the bad kids just because they don't want to put their masks on. And I don't even want it to seem that way. But um, I get it. Like the medical masks and the tiny masks that these kids are wearing are very suffocating. Like, um, and I don't, I don't blame them. And you're wearing it for a good seven hours a day. So it's, it's very like, I don't know. I, like I know what these kids are going through. And I mean, we have the windows on for ventilation, but I just, it, first two weeks of school, they weren't required. And then they sent us like a, like a new requirement where the children have to start wearing them. And we're like, I guess what? Like these kids have to start wearing like masks in school. And parents really haven't complained about it at all because they realize that they still want to send their kids to school, but we just have to follow new guidelines. Um, but I know the kids are just annoyed. Like two specific kids cannot handle it. and. They constantly have it on the wrong way. Oh, and sometimes it just, they're showing their nose. I have to constantly remind them to cover their nose. Um, but it's just one of those things that we just have to listen to because we want to keep our school open for as long as possible, unless there's like a second wave or something. Oh, yeah. Wow.
Okay, well, so on that note, um, would you describe the niqab as being a barrier? Absolutely not. I feel like if anything, um, I've been doing everything that I want and more with it on. Um, not that I'm trying to do the same things with it off, and that's why I'm like mixing the two up, but I've basically done all the things that I would have done anyway with it on. So it really has never been a limitation for me whatsoever. And I'm really living my life, alhamdulillah, with it on. You know what I mean? Alhamdulillah. So would you say that um, there's a difference between how um, sisters who wear the niqab get treated versus sisters who wear the hijab get treated in the Muslim community? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I can have a topic. I, I can, I can talk about this all day. Okay, please. Go for it. Um, I mean... I am originally from Egypt, so going to Egypt for vacation, um, you can see the stark difference of just being a regular hijabi and a naqabi. Um, you're either, it really depends because my sister and I, we don't dress as your typical naqabi. I don't wear like a black abaya and a black hijab on yeah. a daily. So if I'm wearing like a maxi dress with a colored naqab, I'm, I'm, I mean, people are very confused as to how I'm dressed and just why I'm wearing the niqab with the dress in the first place and just kind of all the colors that I do decide to wear mm. um, so that I'm already looked down upon within the niqabi community or just they question my niqab and why I'm wearing it in the first place but then again um, I don't know I speak for Egypt specifically where the experience is just weird where niqab is just seen as it, it's not as respected as you would you would expect it to be mm. So it's like one of those things that are kind of not shunned upon, but just people are not very welcoming to it. Yeah, I, I think I um well, from I spoke to um, a sister called um, Sally Sally Hassan. Um, she uh, um, runs Bloom Adventures. It's like an outdoor um kind of thing for sisters that she does. So she's based in the US as well, and she's half Egyptian. And she was basically telling me the same thing. You know. That's the experience yeah. she had when she was in Egypt. Like she lived there for a while as well. So she was saying that it was um, quite difficult um, at times. Yeah, subhanAllah. I think this is one of the misconceptions that people have. They think that when you go to a Muslim country, they automatically assume that, you know, you're going to be, you know, it's like, yeah, you just live in the life, like however you want to live um, because exactly. it's country, but it's not necessarily always the case. No, it's not the case at all, actually. <laughs> yeah, subhanAllah. So, um, yeah, interesting. So, um, in Egypt, um, do you think that it's easier just wearing hijab or? I mean, I don't know. You know, I just remember this hadith that says, which basically means Islam has always been strange and will always be strange so blessings and glad tidings to to the strangers so i just feel like now more than ever everyone is trying to get westernized and kind of um just be very yeah westernized i think it's the best way to put it but um we're letting loose of so many things that are very vital and very important and basically strong pillars in our religion so a hijabi is also seen as a naqabi, it's also seen as just a person who is backwards to people in my country. So I 
I wouldn't say that hijabis are also getting treated, I mean, with respect as, as we always have. Yeah. Um, so slowly everyone's just kind of looking at us funny. So I'm just thinking that we're just strangers in this world. So what about living in the States then? How's that, how's the comparison between the two niqab and hijab? How, what would you, how would you describe it? Um, so, I mean, hijab and niqab in the US and New York specifically, you're still seen as a Muslim because you're very visibly Muslim. And I still think that people, or many people I think respect us, that we are visible and we are kind of, we are very, what's the word? We're very proud of our religion and this is our way of being proud and kind of showing it to the rest of the world. So some people look at it as having courage and being brave. And at the end of the day, what, the second I leave my house, I'm seen as a visibly Muslim woman. Yeah. And some people until today are very scared to be visibly Muslim women, you know, like Islamophobia has been on the rise. Um, and you really never know when you might be a victim of that. So. You try to avoid it as much as you can. You just say your morning as God and your afternoon as God. So it's just one of those things where you just, you put your trust in Allah and you just hope that you don't fall victim to that. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So um, sister, to end the interview, I'll ask you the final question, which is what does the naqab mean to you? Naqab to me is would say that niqab is the definition of strength and courage. Um, it has gotten me to where I am today. I feel like it actually made me braver than I would have initially if I wasn't wearing my niqab, but I have the confidence that I've always wanted, basically, and it is so empowering to me, and I feel like wearing it has empowered so many more women that I never thought I'd be empowering in the first place, so to see that, it's very inspiring to me and to everyone around me especially the women in my community alhamdulillah mashallah alhamdulillah sister for joining us today and sharing your wonderful story of your journey to the naqab and your experiences i really appreciate it oh yeah thank you so much for having me no problem, sister thank you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh the Nikabi Diary Season 1 ebook with clickable links for each episode is available now, complete with 52 illustrations and inspirational quotes from each podcast guest. Click on the link in the description to get yours.